Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon. And I'm Marcus Dillon. And this podcast is Who's Really the Boss, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Really the Boss. Thanks for joining me. Hey, anytime, anywhere, I'll be there by your side. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I know you are uh, honest when you say that, so thank you. Uh, we are starting our next series uh, of the podcast. So our next series is going to have three parts, and uh, the title of this series is do you own your business? So tell the listeners, like, what are we talking about when we ask, do you own your business? Well, the, the title that we really wanted to use that was too long for all the podcast uh, land places is, do you own your business or does your business own you? And as a founder, as the owner uh, of Dylan CPAs, I've definitely felt that way at the mercy of our business and not the other way around. And hopefully based on this conversation, based on recap, people hearing our mistakes and how we're getting better, they also realize there's maybe some change needed in their business. So not necessarily whose name is on formation documents, not necessarily whose name is on bank accounts uh, related to the business, uh, but how can you really tell if you own your business or if your business owns you? What might it look like if the business actually owns you? If you lose control and most business owners, most founders go into business, or at least I did with a couple of things in mind. So maybe you want to make a little bit more money and probably have a little bit more control over your life. So whatever that freedom, flexibility, workload, just aspects of doing what you want to be able to do in your business, serving your clients the way you want to serve them. So that's a, that's probably the most real reason that people go out on their own other than money. Um, hopefully there's more money involved. Uh, there's a lot more work a lot of times. And so, uh, but yeah, that whenever those things get out of balance real fast and you start losing control and you're at the mercy of one of the aspects of your business. So for speaking from experience, you could be at the mercy of deadlines or the type of work that you do. You could be at the mercy of your client or your customer and not saying that you don't want to provide your best service level possible, but it does come to a point where there is uh, a healthy balance. And if that's exceeded by one side, it's, it's not going to be sustainable. So some symptoms of your business owning you might look like you are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week or close to it. Uh, you yep. are not able to take vacations with your family, you are missing uh, friend get togethers or kids events, things like that, because you feel like you have to be the one at the office at the business or providing whatever service uh, you might be doing yeah, for someone else. Those are great examples where people can say, that's not me, that's not me. Some some physical um, things that may, may show you that it's out of control is 
probably weight gain. Um, you know, that you're gaining some weight, um, that you're not as rested with losing sleep, um, blood pressure, things are out of balance in your physical body. And that, that, you know, your body's trying to tell you something that you can't keep going, pushing yourself that and stress is playing into your life. So you've, you've just described some things that people could probably push off as like, that's not me, but if it is going the other route, you start losing your hair and it's not, you know, uh, hereditary, um, definitely the, the weight gain and unhealth, uh, are pretty big symptoms that people need to pay attention to. Yeah, for sure. And so our, this series is really going to highlight, how do you take control back? How do you become the owner or go back to being the owner, being in control, being in charge of your business. This is not from a pride or an ego standpoint. This is really setting healthy boundaries and reprioritizing what's important uh, in your life and not just in your workday. And so this first episode that we wanted to do is really talking through what what are some practical things that you can do to take back that control. So looking at uh, ideal services, ideal clients, and your ideal work schedule. This requires some thought and some planning. So let's talk through, Marcus, what we did as far as in our business to help take back control. Yeah. The first thing that happens is there's got to be a pain point that causes you to change, to get better. And hopefully you've documented that pain point and say, I don't want to go back. So many of those symptoms that we've talked about, that then causes you to think through, sit down and document what those items are. So a lot of times the person who started the business may need some help, um, some ex external help, like with a coach or a consultant. Um, honestly, we do engage coaching here as well uh, on our side to help us think through and get better and um, set vision and stick to vision and things like that. So definitely external help may be needed um, after those symptoms have presented themselves. But but really having that person or yourself, people close to you that hold you accountable to what you really set out to accomplish with this business. So if you set out to accomplish a certain type of individual or serve them in a certain way and things kind of got off course, going back to basics and just realizing that this is not what I intended when I went out and started this. Yeah. And I think that we looked at the scheduling. So originally in a traditional accounting firm, you have busy seasons, um, and then less busy seasons. And so looking at that prior to both of us working in the business was it's just for a short amount of time. I have to do this and it's only for a short amount of time. Then what we really saw when both of us were in that, that short amount of time really isn't that short. So from January through the end of April, you know, that's, a third of the year. That's a long time every year for how long, you know? So we had young kids and what does that look like a third of every year? Plus then you have kind of your second busy season towards the end of the year. So we're looking at almost a half a year every year is yeah. gone just all to work. So that, that was really our pain point where we decided, okay, we're not really willing to sacrifice 
a half a year every year with our kids. Sure. Yeah. And our industry, I know that a lot of our listeners um, are friends of ours that also own other firms or work in other firms. So whenever your industry, whenever you age yourself based on the number of like tax seasons that you go through, that's probably not a healthy metric. And while we do say this is only going to last a few months, I've got to grind and get through it and on to the next. Every year for the past 15, 20 years uh, that we've been in this type of business, there's always something every year that happens. And <laughs> the last couple of years, COVID, someone's going to change the tax law every year, every two years or four, depending on politics. Um, so there's just too much to keep up with. And uh, the main thing is you, you hit it on the head because most people only think of like tax season as filing season, which happens maybe February through April 15th is traditionally what's happened. Well, we've seen extended filing seasons because of whatever is going on in the world. But then you take, let's say those four months because everybody hates January as well. Um, all the 1099s, W2 projects that go on and just wrapping up the year in financials. So that's already heavy. So you've got four months, which is a third of the year. Hopefully you take some time off throughout the year. So maybe you've got a month going to Christmas, Thanksgiving, and maybe you take a vacation. So then you've got your September, October deadlines. So you're living in more than 50% of your year in some type of deadline driven work. And it wasn't healthy for us. We realized that it wasn't the type of business that we wanted to build. Some people are okay building that business around a tax filing and a tax filing season. And we've seen, we've seen people do that. Well, we've seen others that don't do that well or handle it well, and they just end up being busy all year long and that's not healthy. So we definitely set out, um, you know, my experience, what the firm started to do, the business started to be busy all year long. And we, we kind of put the brakes on and wanted something different as far as a business model. Yeah. So what, you know, what we did, we were looking at not only our family, our team members who either had young kids the same as we did, or who didn't have kids yet and couldn't fathom even having a family if they were required to work that amount of hours. Like they, they could see um, into the future, like it is not possible to raise a family and work till 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. most nights of the week for months out of the year. And so, you know, other than us thinking, okay, there's got to be a better way. This is not what we originally wanted. Uh, we also, like Marcus mentioned, we started just really um, – talking to outside people like is there a different way is anyone else doing this differently is someone else doing this better than we are um, and then that way we could move forward yeah so part of that was you, you touched on probably the three things so services client and schedule um, we can talk about schedule because we're kind of already there um, as far as like the big schedule so what did we want our year to look like? We definitely did not want the grind any time of year. And my background coming out of big four, I had a, a large client, which was a fiscal year client. So that means they had a non-traditional year end, which we worked through to get work done. And then I had to roll over to traditional year end clients. And so I was just, that's not what I wanted and not 
not what I wanted here. Um, so what we started to do is how can we, how can we keep it even throughout the year and provide a great place to work and a great way to serve clients evenly throughout the year. And so for our business model, that means doing a lot of the back office services. So payroll, accounting, bookkeeping, um, closing out the numbers every month and just making sure everything's consistent throughout the year that we're providing consistent business planning, tax planning throughout the year, and that the compliance work is done just more as a matter of fact, as like a result of everything you do throughout the year. So that was the schedule that we laid out. And it's funny because where we're at in, in a world as far as like talent shortage and people that want to do really any kind of work, but definitely like the kind of work that our industry is typically known for is fewer and fewer people. And so whenever we can have a conversation with a prospective team member and say, we're going to reduce the amount of overtime to minimal, if any, no weekends, no late nights, um, and try to hold true to that. And that's a lot more appealing than mandated 60 plus hour work weeks. And if you're not hitting those quotas, you're getting called out on it. So that's speaking into like the accounting space specifically, but I didn't know, is there anything else around scheduling that from your perspective, we need to discuss? Well, I think just sharing practically what we looked at, we probably looked at what we didn't want to do first. We don't want to work weekends. We don't want to work holidays. We don't want to work late nights. So really looking at an ideal work schedule. Okay. We are okay with a traditional Monday through Friday, eight to five. That's not, um, that would be fine. And then even looking at that work schedule a little bit more as to, okay, well, ideally I, I don't want to meet with clients every single day of the week. I would rather meet with clients, you know, certain days of the week or certain times of the day and really drilled down to something so specific of what does an ideal work day look like? What does an ideal work week look like? And then what does that look like um, through, throughout the year? How do we, how do we replicate that ideal week for every single week of the year? And so it really took a lot of intention, not looking at, I have to get these things done. So that means I have to work until whatever hour that means to get those things done. It looked at, no, ideally, what would this look like? If I could, you know, dream up a schedule for myself, what would that day look like? What would that week look like? And then how do I replicate that week every week thereafter? Um, So you're exactly right. And in those early days, whenever you're having to meet with people during the day, whether it's a client or a team member, and then stay late to actually do the production, the work and get that done. Those are days that I think back on. I don't think back on them fondly, but there are days that I'm so grateful that we've got a different system in place. And it, it really just goes back to scheduling. What do you want that schedule to look like? And like you've hit on, um, you've kind of introduced the concept of time blocking already. And that's something we believe in pretty pretty well here and we'll probably have an additional discussion on that 
So, so yeah, scheduling. that will definitely be part two of part two of the series. Will be on prioritizing and time blocking and batching uh, tasks. And so, yeah, we'll touch on that. But with that work schedule, knowing that our current schedule at the time of the pain point didn't look like that work schedule. It didn't look like the ideal. It didn't look anything close to the ideal. And that even getting to what your ideal day and work week would look like was hard because it didn't at the time feel possible. And so it, it felt a little bit like a waste of time thinking through that because it was like, okay, well, that's great to think about and dream about, but that's not really possible. That's not practical. And so, it really took, okay, no, this is what I want it to look like. So if this were to be true, if this was my actual work schedule, my work week, then what also has to be true? What has to change? What has to be different to make this possible? And so that's where we looked at some of our service offerings and who would be interested in those types of services. Sure. So the service offering kind of going into that, if we realized that we did not want to be the traditional after the fact tax shop. And so one, you have to stop offering that as a service and uh, how you communicate that to the public or to potential clients, um, take it off your website. If someone calls and wants you to do that for them, you have to be prepared to tell them no. And that was a very big hurdle. Um, I had to remove myself from that because as the person that started the business and saw any revenue as good revenue, it, it definitely took me separating myself for the business as a whole to be healthy and tell people no, that wanted us to serve them in a very, in, in whichever way they were traditionally used to being served. And that was no longer acceptable on our side because we wanted something better. So you actually started taking those calls and telling a lot of people no who called for tax returns. We still get those calls. Thankfully, you're not the one that tells those people no any longer and hopefully tries to let them know that there's even a better way and spend some time educating them too. Yeah, for sure. And so we did get to a place of telling people no and no longer offering everything. So that's what it took to have the ideal day, the ideal weeks and replicate those over and over throughout the year. It took eliminating some of the services we had done previously that we were currently offering and telling new prospective clients, no, we're, we don't do that anymore. But before that, we tried something else, uh, and I just wanted to give a pro tip out there. This is not the most ideal way to start eliminating services um, and get, you know, fewer clients on the services you don't want to provide. So what we tried to do was increase the price to deter people from taking those services. And what we found out was that there were still people willing to pay whatever price we asked. Uh, however, when you pay a lot for something, then uh, me, myself, 
I naturally then have a higher expectation of what I'm getting. So not only did we not want to offer that service that we just sold them, but then we had to deliver it at an even higher level, uh, better is what the client was expecting. So what happened there was either we didn't meet their expectations based on the price they were paying, uh, or we were burning out team members trying to provide something different for that client because of the high price that they were paying. Yeah. So, and so that, the better way to do that is yeah. to just tell people, no, we no longer offer that. If you have someone that you can, you know, refer them to or help them with a different solution, maybe that you do offer in your office or that somebody else provides, if it's something specific they're looking for that you no longer want to offer a better way is to, help them find the solution that they actually need um, and not not go against what you've set out to do. Yeah, we we try to leave people better than we find them. And that's on a prospect or a client side, definitely. And so what that took first, we we got to the point where we were in a position to tell people no, which is a it's a great position to be in financially. And um, the second step to that was getting to know our peers who did want to serve others that other way and did not want to build something the way that we were building it. And so we become a referral partner to our peers that are doing that type of work. And they love us because we keep sending them work um, that may they may not be introduced to otherwise. And so it helps from a relationship standpoint with our peers. And then also that person that we've referred on that we end up dropping the ball on and not serving them well, they, their opinion of us isn't negative. It may be, you know, flat, but it's not negative. And it may even be positive because we've told them no, which a lot of people will not do. And I know that's surprising to many people when you call a business that you think will serve you. And you say, no, like we're at capacity or that's not how we do it. And you just approach that situation with intention versus letting that situation drive you and overwhelm you, which then goes back to who really owns your business. And in that situation, you're at the mercy of that prospective client that you know nothing about. And even if we threw out something crazy, you know, where we doubled the fee, the minimum fee every year. And it wasn't healthy. It wasn't really right to do that to that team, to that prospective client, because they can go other places that may serve them just as well and pay more of a market rate for that. So, um, yeah, I think that's definitely a pro tip is not trying to really drive top line revenue based on the wrong type of client. Yeah. And so when we looked at um, just getting back to that ideal schedule, we looked at the services. And the first thing that you considered was what did you not like doing? What did you not want to do? What was not healthy? What was the biggest uh, problem in getting to that ideal work schedule? So definitely deadline driven or seasonal work was going to put a strain on keeping that schedule uh same, the same or similar throughout the whole year. So we looked first at what don't we like to do? What, what kind of things would interfere with keeping that um, ideal schedule? And then 
also from a business standpoint, we had to look at things that were profitable. So what services did we offer that were profitable or even what engagements specifically that were profitable? So if you want to talk a little bit about, yeah. you know, what that looks like and, you know, some of the services, because we didn't enjoy them, they may have been profitable, but because of, because of the work involved and the time required still may not have made the cut on services we would offer down the road. Sure. And, and this is where the owner of the business has to be honest with themselves. Um, you have to back up and is your firm, is your, whatever you built, is it truly a business or is it just a job at the end of the day? Are you not able to produce anything if you remove yourself? And I think if that's the answer is that no work goes out the door, if you remove yourself from the equation, you really don't have a standalone business. And that may be hard for some people to say. And the, the reason why I kind of highlight that is as owners that do production, that do work in the business, we discount how much our time is worth and the projects and engagements, which tax returns or something that only requires the highest level of input, those are actually unprofitable because it's only your time and your time may be worth the most on the team. Uh, thankfully now we've got other people who their time is worth way more than mine. And, uh, that's how we, uh, evaluate if we're able to bring value to the relationship, if we're able to have profitable work and employ a great team of people, that's, that's ultimately how we've shifted from a production mindset as an owner to a business mindset and evaluating those what's really profitable and business lines. You also have to look at profitability and liability. So if it's a, if it's a type of engagement where there's a lot of liability, where you're expressing an opinion or you don't do as many of those types of engagements and you're not being honest with yourself that you really don't know what you're doing. Um, there's really a lot of liability as a professional there and you kind of have to evaluate that. So when we look at profitable, engagements. We want engagements that others can work on and do them in a timely manner. And that the people that are working on those engagements are, they're timely, they're successful in getting what they need to get the client, what, what we promised we would deliver and the advice that comes along with it. So that's typically what we look at in a service world. Um, for people that are not service-based, they would look at the cost inputs of that product or business to see what's really profitable. But I think, it, I think as professional service firm owners, we typically do ourselves a disservice because we discount our time to zero. And it's really anything that we bill is straight profit. And that's not, that's not the case really. So we looked at for the services, what did we do well? What did we enjoy doing? Um, what was desirable to a client, meaning what added value to them and their business? And then what could we automate so that it would be sustainable long-term? So what services could we automate so that our team uh, and our clients could be served 
the same throughout the year at a very high level. Yeah. And then touching on kind of your last point um, with the client, the ideal client that we looked at, we had to evaluate that because one, we determined the schedule that we wanted to work. We, we determined the service, how we wanted to serve our ideal client. And then third, it was, what are those ideal clients? So um, when we went through and identified it, maybe this is a trend. It's easy to always say, what don't you want to work on or what don't, who don't you want to work with? And so some of that is personality driven based on industries. And I'm not going to say any one industry alone, but certain industries drive certain personalities at, at, you know, big picture. And so it's one of those where you may have more aggressive people in a certain industry than another. For us, we love working with professional service providers um, because a lot of what we do in our business overlaps with what they may need to be focusing on. So with that, we work really well with single or um, single kind of family owner businesses or, may, or not many partners. Typically, our ideal client has a revenue of a million to five million because we can bring a lot of value. And finally, that ideal client is growth minded and it may not be growth minded in their business. It may be personal development, like they're just seeking to be better. And we love working with those people because that's that's who we are, honestly, and that's who we cultivate as team members. That's who we attract as team members are really driven, growth oriented, productive people and on the other side of that relationship with clients, that's who we connect really well with as well. So I think that's, that's who we identified as ideal and we can kind of come alongside them and add a lot of value as their partner in that relationship and help them achieve their goals. Yeah. And practically what that looked like was honestly looking at the time, looking at the current client list, who did we serve really well? Did they fit into certain niches of industry or type of person? And then that's how we were able to determine those ideal clients. So it wasn't us taking something that we had never done before and just that would be really cool to serve this person, but really looking at history, who are we already serving well? Uh, who are we serving mostly? What kind of characteristics do those clients have? that are similar. And then we're able to break that down into definitely a smaller group of clients. That is honestly what had to happen to fit in that ideal schedule. And for us, we did the part where work as much as you can, make as much as you can, whatever that looks like. And for us, that wasn't the answer long-term. That wasn't sustainable. What was sustainable was to feel good about the value that you're bringing to team members, to clients, to your family. And the way that we needed to do that was to really be intentional about how we worked, what we did and who we worked with. Yeah. Um, we did that top line revenue, like growth is good. Everything is a everything is a good client and everything we do for that client is something we can say yes to. Uh, a lot of people in our industry believe that they don't say no. And we tried that honestly for, I think three or four years. And 
it was headed nowhere. It was headed to burnout for myself. I don't believe anybody that we had on the team at that time is still with us. Um, looking back. <laughs> yes. And, yes. Um, we still have some of those team members. Shout out, shout out to uh, Molly. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, she's hanging on strong, but I think we've lost others along the way because we were headed towards something bad and we may have never known it, but we would have looked back 30 years from now and said, we could have had something so much better if we would have just made small changes along the way. And so I'm glad we did that early on in our business journey and it's helped getting us to a much healthier place as far as sustainable business that may, you know, we may play a part in and, uh, where it's, you know, healthy from a team perspective. Yeah. So, and and, and uh, then just also just to speak into, it doesn't necessarily mean when you reorganize what you're doing, right? When you reorganize your business and you look at uh, intentionally, strategically, what services, what clients, you also set the pricing there. So this doesn't mean well, if I work less, I make less. It could mean that, and it could mean that for a season, but it doesn't have to mean that. So there are options to monetize work that you no longer do or want to do. There are options to set pricing differently on the services that you do offer. Obviously, you're looking at the services that are going to be most profitable. So it does not mean just because I have fewer clients that now I have a lower revenue. Uh, Ideally, you will have more time, you will uh, have fewer clients, and then you will also make either the same or more in revenue. And that's why it has to be intentional and strategic. That is why you can't put your head down and just hope that it gets better or put your head down and think, I'll just suffer through because it's only for a short time period and it'll be better in the summer because then the next year rolls around and you have to do it all over again. And there's always some special project that comes up in the summer or <laughs> whenever you think that you're done and it's or that deadline gets extended, you know, hurricane freeze, uh, technology glitch. It's something Pandemic. always, yep. yes, yeah. always something. So that's, that's pretty much the three ideals that we set was that ideal schedule, ideal client, ideal services, um, not in that order, but, and, um, yeah, it, it helped us definitely answer, answer the question of who really owns the business and our business is not owned by some other schedule or the wrong client or the wrong way to serve that client. And that's just us really being intentional along the way to be able to answer that question, who really owns the business? Yeah, and last thought I just had was it's progress, not perfection. You have to start somewhere. So if you start with first dream, first take the step to what would your ideal work day and work week look like? And then you can start backing into what services and what clients. And then from there, you can start implementing. So the first step definitely would be, first you gotta dream, first you gotta think about when you went into business, what did you think it was going to look like? What did you hope it was going to look like? And kind of start there with that scheduling. I think to add on to your final comment is a lot of- Are you one-upping me? Are you trying no, to one-up? No, 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 definitely not. I think 
because many of us on this side where we're type A, dreaming sounds so like, I'm not going to do that. And look for other people in your market, in your industry that maybe have the business or have the lifestyle or have something that you just want a little bit of piece of and go learn more about that person. Maybe go start a relationship with that person because that's what we did. We saw people that were better and we asked what they were doing. And so to say dream is excellent for some of the more creative folks, but for those that need a little bit more uh, black and white, definitely go, you know, go that route and, and find others that are maybe where you want to be. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll let you one up me with that one. That's a yeah. great advice. I get one out of a 99, so we'll take it. Exactly. But all right. all right, well, looking forward to the next conversation where I think we're going to um, kind of dive into time blocking and that nonsense that you always talk about uh, that maybe people believe in after a while, um, but they're very leery about it in the in the beginning. All right. Talk to you soon.